0: WNYC Studios is supported by The Uncertain Hour, a podcast from Marketplace. The new season is here to help you make sense of this complicated economic moment, diving into the origins of quarantine, unemployment, and how the social safety net came to have so many holes. Subscribe to The Uncertain Hour wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. My chance to talk with artists, policymakers, and performers. To hear their stories, what inspires their creations, what decisions change their careers, what relationships influenced their work. My guest today is actor Mickey Rourke. And if you're a millennial who's binging on Orange is the New Black, and you haven't seen him in the Pope of Greenwich Village or Diner, I suggest you do. Rourke is an actor of great focus and intensity, and he often appears to be lit from a fire within. That fire has gotten him in trouble with directors, co-stars, and producers, earning him the reputation of being difficult to work with, but nearly always with breathtaking results. Rourke's childhood was, as he calls it, a nightmare. Before he found his acting teacher, Sandra Seacat, at the actor's studio, Rourke sought refuge in a much different place, the boxing ring.
0: I started when I was about 11 years old. I had, also, I had four stepbrothers that were the toughest vice I ever had. No, you grew up in Schenectady. Uh, no, I, I was born upstate New York, right. but I was raised in Miami. Because
1: your mom remarried and you moved down My to My mother
0: married a, a cocksucker, yeah, a policeman down there, brutal son of a bitch, which was a good outlet for me with the boxing, you know. And we we grew up uh, in Liberty City, which was the black section of town. And uh, you either were a really fast runner or you had to fight. We actually were in a, na- in a neighborhood where you had to ride to school in a pack or else you'd get your bike taken from you. And I remember days where I was riding my bicycle alone to school and then there's four guys, five guys, whatever, you know, waiting for me to cross 7th Avenue. And I would go hide in the gas station until they left because I didn't want to get beat up or my bicycle taken from me. Like Tyson, yeah, absolutely bullied when he
1: was a kid. He talked about all the
0: yeah, time. you know, yeah. I was a, I was a chicken ship. All my all my step brothers could kick the shit out of me. The ones that were younger, the ones that were older.
1: And you have a full brother and a full sister.
0: My yeah, my full brother passed away about eight years ago. Yeah, mm. um, he never got into Joey. Never got never got into the boxing. He. Uh, He was in the marijuana business. He was very quiet. Uh, I think because of what had happened growing up, he he uh, couldn't—I fought, and he got got quiet and couldn't—he didn't trust anybody, and he was very— Shut uh, down. Shut down, and he could only sort of communicate in the outlaw world, part of society. Is your mom still alive? Um, she is, but when my brother died in my arms, I could never speak to her again because I blamed Joe being antisocial and, and uh, to be able to function on her because she allowed certain stuff to happen. She just turned her back to it,
1: you know. So boxing is something you did with a kid. You had, you had a record. You you know you 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 won a lot of fights. I won a
0: lot of amateur fights. So I was undefeated as an amateur. I'd, uh,
1: so when you jump up to New York right. to go study with Sandra Seacat, correct? Yeah, yes. And you're gonna start doing the acting thing, what happened? Why?
0: Um I had gotten a I had gotten a, two concussions in a row, and I think I was in a I don't know, I was about sixteen or seventeen, and um the doctors told me to take a year off to not have any contact. And there was a kid in my class in my school who was going doing acting, and you know, and he asked me to do a play, and I, I, I had no idea, and uh, so he talked to me into doing this play, and I thought this is better than getting up at five in the morning and right. running the Washing Lagos cars. Country Club where Ali would we'll get up <laughs> and run every day, and uh, you know, back then it was it was a ritual to, to you know to do your road work before the sun came up, and and. Uh, you know this acting thing I thought it was a lot easier than the grind at the gym and I was very undisciplined uh young man and uh, I had a tr- I had trouble just listening to anybody and um did you listen to c Cat I listened to her but I I I didn't I wasn't able to listen to my boxing trainers and uh why did you listen to her why did I listen to Sandra? Oh, yeah,
1: what was it about that?
0: You know, I said to myself, I'm going to give myself five years to see if this acting thing is any good. Uh, I said
1: the same thing. I said, i give myself one year.
0: Yeah, so I was living at the time at this welfare hotel down on uh, 8th Street. And there was a, there was an old man behind the desk who was a big theater buff, and he would give me books to read. I had no idea who Marlon Brando was or... Tennessee uh, Williams. Tennessee <laughs> Williams, you know. I knew who BoJack was, Sonny Liston, <laughs> Emil Griffith, you know, Roberto Duran, yeah. James Dean, I didn't know who the fuck he was. So it was like... he. You weren't, me-
1: a, you weren't a movie goer. No, not at all. You weren't a movie watcher. No.
0: And I was working construction at the time. I had a, on a, I, I worked on a construction crew on a jackhammer. And I remember after work one day, I had my jeans on. I think I only had two pairs of jeans and three black T-shirts. And I showed up at the hotel and... This elderly man, who, older man who worked at behind the desk, Carl. He was all done up, like, you know, all really dressed up. And I, he says, we're going to the theater. And I said, okay, let's go. He goes, you can't go to the theater like that. Yes. <laughs> you know, I had the dirty jeans, or the just from my construction job. Put on some proper clothes. I didn't have any proper clothes. He no, dressed, me, he dressed <laughs> me up, and uh, he actually died this year at a hundred. You know, we kept, we've kept, we've kept in touch. And he was a hundred years old. I call him Montgomery.
1: So you go you go to the theater with him.
0: I went to the theater and saw a play with him. It was Ralph Richardson and John Gilgood. Uh-huh. It was okay, and you know it was. It didn't rock my boat. It wasn't Muhammad Ali and Sonny Liston. You know, right. Right. it was a whole different world for me, and. Uh, so I'd go to the acting classes and I, I think it was about a year and a half or 2 years that I would go but I wouldn't get up and do anything. I would just sit there and watch other people. And actually Treat Williams and Christopher Reeves, God bless his soul, were both in the class. And they'd get up there and they'd get all you know, emotional and you know and do all this stuff and I thought I can't cuz you know being on the street you can't my other job was I was running a massage parlor on 42nd Street. I was in charge of the flyboys. I had these young Puerto Rican kids that would, you know, wanted to make some money, and I'd give them sacks of flyers, and they'd hand them out to, you know, customers. And my job was when the pimps came over, they would take the flyers from the young Puerto Rican kids and throw the flyers away because they had their girls work on the street. So my job was go over to the pimps, and I would say, leave my fucking flyboys alone. And if they didn't get it, I'd open my coat and show them the shit and... They got the message. Wow. So So with the work you were doing. Well, it was weird because that— You got off um, the jackhammer. Yeah, right. You got (laughs) to do a different jackhammer. (laughs) Yes. The street life and then acting class clashed so. It was—so it was because I had to keep—you got to keep a certain face on the street. And to go into acting class and become vulnerable was was hard for me to—
1: But you auditioned for the studio. Yeah. And they let you in very quickly. Correct. If I read correctly, I got in very
0: quickly, and and they uh,
1: said your audition was one of the best auditions
0: they'd seen in thirty, 30 years. years. Well, Kazan said that to me, Kazan. and when I finally knew who Kazan was, what? I finally realized it was Isn't that amazing. Well, there's a story to that. Um, I uh, I said to my acting coach, Saunders, one day, I, you know, because I used to see Al Pacino at the studio and um, and Chris Walken and Harvey Keitel and you know guys that I really admired and. I said to Sandra one day, hey, "Can I ever be a, as good as like Al Pacino?" And she said, "You have to work harder than the rest." And I understood that, and but because I, I I related, I could understand that in the relation to boxing. You know, if you you don't win the fight on the night of the fight, you win the yeah. fight the ten, twelve weeks right. that you do your road work. Yeah. You know, so when you're sitting in the dressing room and they're wrapping your hands. And the door opens, and you hear the crowd. That's when, you know, that's when, that's when, I would get frightened. F- the fear would come in. Right. But if I did my home, my my road work, you know, all I'm thinking about is I'm that, ready. That that prick in the other room. Yeah. He didn't work as hard as I yeah. did. So with the acting, I I would literally go there after my jobs, late at night. I she, I got a hold of a key to the studio, and I would walk in there. What I would do is there was a bum on the street, uh, I forget his name, uh, but I would pay him like $5 to read lines with me. He could hardly read, but I'd buy him a big, giant bottle of beer. And he would, as good as he could read, he would read the other lines. And I would, when you're in the actor's studio at night, like around 1, 2 in the morning, or 12 at night, you know, and you start thinking about, you know, who's been there before you, who's walked on that floor before you. You know, it's 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 a it's a it's a, it was a really beautiful feeling. It's mind blowing. It was mind blowing, and to be there all at night, and I was there every fucking night, and I would work, and I'd work harder, and I'd work harder.
1: And then, did you eventually? You got up in front of people.
0: Eventually, I got up in front of people in the How'd seat. How did that feel? It was okay because Sandra knew my background from fighting, and she also knew that I had a I had a tremendous amount of guilt for quitting. The boxing. That you walked away. I felt like a coward that I quit, yeah. And she had me do, you know, it was a, a Stanislavski method type of acting, of course, and she had me do a uh, sense memory of me in a place that I love to be. And what I was doing was lacing up my boxing shoes. And I remember because Ali was at the gym at the same time and Jimmy Allison, Jerry Quarry, Oscar Bonavent, all the great ones, you know, and I remember I had gotten these white boxing shoes that were the same ones that Ali had, and so when I did my sense memory and and then I had this monologue that she had me do, and I was lacing up the shoes, and it just everything kind of just I cr- I cracked, and it was like, and she had me, she she went say the lines, and it was, and then I understood what the work is and how to make it personal and how to tap into. An emotion, and then be able to, to, to use it in, this, in, the in a scene in in the work.
1: So here's, but but what's interesting to me is when you show up in films and you come across as very vulnerable and very tender. You know, you're a handsome leading man. the The first movie that you star in is what Pope of Greenwich Village.
0: Diner, Pope of Greenwich Village. The Diner, which is an ensemble. A, the nine and a half weeks
1: right, no, I deal. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I
1: that girl who's in that movie, movie, what's her name again? I remember her, the blonde.
0: The blonde Georgia. chick with the big The blonde from Georgia. The, yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah.
1: Um, so, Pope of Greenwich Village is probably your first starring role, correct? Not an ensemble.
0: Yeah, no, and right? it happens to be my favorite movie that I've ever made.
1: Now, why? How can you say that?
0: I think because Eric Roberts is probably... him and him De Niro and Chris Walken, the best three actors I've ever worked with right and Eric was on fire at the time he'd just come off king of the gypsies and and he was the hottest actor yeah in the on the planet yeah and it's it, i to me it's a shame that he doesn't work more now right um and he was I had to be on my toes with eric eric is a is a great actor. And uh, I'll say that to the day I go to my grave.
1: But when you come on to the set of a film early on, did you rely on directors to help you at all? Did they help um,
0: you? Well, Levinson was a first-time director at the time. You know, um, he was more of a writer. Where I was really happy was working with uh, Coppola on Rumble Fish, and and then I did three movies with Chimino. and then I, you know, of course, the movie with Adrian Lyne, and those three were real actor directors.
1: How did Chimino help you?
0: He was so well prepared. He does an enormous amount of pre-production and research himself. And when I did Year of the Dragon with Chimino, with I was playing a, uh, a cop, and uh, he actually made me meet the real Stanley White. And uh, he made me, he he ordered me to I had to back then they didn't have cell phones they had beepers, and the real Stanley White was a homicide cop. And so he gave me this beeper, and every night that there was a homicide, I had to go. And I went on 38 homicides with him, and the first three or four, it was terrifying for me. I mean, I just didn't want to see a dead body, you know. And then after, like, the fourth or fifth one, it was nothing.
1: Yeah, it's interesting.
0: Yeah. um, The only thing that really stuck with me that was to this day that was terrifying was he made me go to an autopsy and uh, I never been to a, a that kind of place before but you don't forget it once you've gone inside and he wanted me to uh, really sink into this, this 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 was one badass cop and i you know Stanley and I to this day are really close and uh, he's just this tattooed muscled you know cop that did two tours in Vietnam and uh Really intelligent, and um, I went out with him for three months, you know, before we did the movie. So when I walked over to a dead body, I knew, you know, you you look for def- the defensive wounds on the hands. You look at the you can look at the gums and tell how long the person's been bet- dead. Uh, you look at the different colored blood that's on the ground, and if it's a darker red, that means it hit like a, a liver, a lung, or a heart. So Chimento was. He picked out every thread of clothes I wore, and I usually don't let anybody do that. But Why he, did you
1: trust him? Why?
0: You just liked him. Because I respected him. Yeah. You I just connected to him. I respected what he Absolutely. Same thing with Coppola uh, and with the Adrian line. You know, from boxing, I don't stand up straight. You know, I hunch over, and I hunch over, and it's just a habit. And Adrian, as I'd be doing the scene, sometimes I would, he, he uh, Adrian would look at me, and he'd put his shoulders back you know, and it meant for me to stand up straight. Stand up straight. You know, just but the adjustments. Adrian Lyne is not known as an actor's director, but he's so intelligent and he's so prepared. And he, you know, he doesn't. He does a movie like every nine to twelve years. But why doesn't he make films? Do you keep in touch with him? I do see him. You know, um, I mean,
1: why doesn't he make any films anymore?
0: He's just an eccentric bird. Doesn't find uh, anything he likes. Well, let's put it this way: it's no picnic making a movie, right? right. Everybody has an Especially idea. Especially now. Right, but everybody has an idea of, oh, you're in the movie business. But we spend 80% of the time sitting on a trailer. Yeah. Waiting, you know, and uh, I, I think, I don't know. He's
1: made nothing in the last few years, and no. this is just tragic because he's such yeah, a great he's filmmaker. A, he's
0: a great filmmaker, and Cimino hasn't made a movie in 16 years or whatever. And well,
1: you don't think he doesn't care anymore?
0: I, I don't know what it is with Michael. Um, you keep in touch with him. Yes, I do.
1: He does Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Right. Eastwood says to him, you could direct the film. He does his first film because he directed a lot of commercials one for of, years in New York. One
0: of, of Bridges' best performances, right. too. He does the yeah. film,
1: makes a lot of money. They yeah. say to him he's going to do uh, Deer Hunter. He wins the Oscar. I mean, it's like this fairy tale. Well, look at, look at the, the,
0: uh, the acting performances in Deer Hunter from, sure. from De Niro to John Savage to Chris right. Walken to... Meryl Streep to everybody who Stunning. was in the fucking movie was just un- everybody was great in that movie
1: remarkable and then, yes. and then, and then uh, of course he does Heaven's Gate
0: and- I, w- I was in that too Exa- yeah. Exactly yeah.
1: exactly and, and it seems like like all the goodwill is undone by the one film and then you start to make a couple of the films with him after that
0: Yes but well, by after that there was a backlash against him because of what happened with United Artists right. the crumbling of United Artists with What was he like he- to
1: work with on the two films you made after Heaven's Gate
0: um, I did Desperate Hours with him with Anthony with Tony, what's his name? Uh, Hopkins. Yeah. Uh, this the industry. By the time after Heaven's Gate came out, everybody was against him. So when we did Year of the Dragon together, right. they 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 purposely tore him a new asshole. I, I so. love Chimino and he he also taught me a lot of valuable lessons that I, that I I've it stayed with me um I remember when when Year of the Dragon came out and uh I enjoyed working with somebody that I had so much respect for and that I have so much respect for and that I was so much wanted to please and I wanted him to to I wanted to please him so badly I would do anything to I would go just through a Through walls, and I did go through walls for him. I uh, I had a lot of blood on me on that movie. Um, He said to me, when the movie came out and it didn't get received well, but it was mainly because of of the industry and the people wanted to break him.
1: Yeah, they weren't going to give him a fair shake, whatever he did.
0: So I remember I was reading reviews one day of all the papers in the United States, and I had a big pile on the left side that were the good reviews— or not a big pile, a medium-sized pile. And then I had a gigantic pile <laughs> on the right side, and I read every review from every every city. And there were a lot of bad reviews, and unjustly so. And I remember we were riding his black Jeep, and I, I was so upset I, I started to cry. And Michael pulled the Jeep over, and he says, what the fuck are you upset about? And I... I, I, I'm going, Michael, is not uh, so fair. He says, did you read the good reviews? And I said, yes. He says, and how did they make you feel? And I said, oh, good. You know, he said, did you read the bad reviews? And I said, yeah. He said, how did they make you feel? And I said, well, that's what I'm talking And he says, listen. He said, do you know those people that wrote the Rosa reviews? And I said, no. And he says, I don't know them either. He says, what do you care about what someone thinks or writes about you that you don't know? And he says, if you can't handle reading the bad ones, don't read the good ones either. And from that day on, I've never read a review or a remark in my life of a film I've done.
1: Even when people said
0: no, the it, kindest things in the world about it, you in the wrestler? It doesn't. It, no, no, it, no. What happened? But we're
1: going to get to that period in a minute, but I want to I I go back and I want to say, when you did movies back then— and you were starring in films and you were a leading man in a lot of films back then. What scripts did you choose and why? Was that Was that a yes because it was Chimino?
0: It was an absolute yes because it was Michael Chimino.
1: And you didn't care about the being a remake of the Bogart film?
0: Absolutely not. Right. No,
1: didn't, didn't intimidate you at no. all?
0: No, I would do anything with Michael Chimino. So
1: it was all about Michael.
0: It's the same thing with Francis Coppola, or it's the same thing with Adrian Lyne.
1: And when... And when Time goes on, did you feel, maybe you didn't, but I'm wondering, did you feel that there was a place that the business wanted you to be in, that they wanted you to occupy, and you started to get uncomfortable with having to play?
0: I got uncomfortable when I realized, uh, well, the two things happened. I tried to, I I looked at, like, Al Pacino's career, and I, I admired and respect the fact that Al never really sold out and he's always stuck to doing the best work and and with with respect and dignity that he could do and i at the time i was i my agency or whatever it was wanted me to live in los angeles which i spit on not the agency los angeles i, I just hate it there and um I, I used to sit for a year, two or three, and wait for, like, the right script or wait for Cimino. And, um... Nothing fell on my plate. And, uh... Because, once again, I did another movie after all those movies, Pulp Greenwich v- Village with, with Eric, and they, you know, that guy... There was a change at MGM at the time, and a new regime came in, so they didn't really want to promote the film. And... Um, so it was a little bit of a dry run for me, and there was no work coming in because I was waiting for, you know, Chimino or Adrian or Coppola, and it didn't happen. So What film, did happen? What happened was this piece of shit fell on my plate, and they offered me a boatload of money. And like a whore, I took the $4 million or whatever it was and bought a big fucking Elvis Presley house <laughs> that I couldn't afford. And uh, I remember doing this film... And hating myself every day. I'm I'm talking about hating going to work, and it, it just I couldn't keep a lid on shit. And I, I you acted out. I acted out. Yeah, I I there was a lot of rage inside of me, you know, and I and I was mad at myself, and I was and the director. Couldn't he? Couldn't direct traffic, you know? And uh, th- I mean, Don Johnson used to tell him where to put the camera, and he'd put the camera there. I think
1: I'm aware of what movie you're talking about. Yeah,
0: and my brother liked, Daniel was in that movie. Yeah, <laughs> uh, um, Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Programme. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Which blows my mind to this day. is uh, I, I, I was working on this little documentary thing or whatever with Bob Dylan. And Bob says, Mickey. Uh, David said one of man's my favorite movie <laughs> and i go oh here's <laughs> the that. here's the most interesting man I've ever met in my life, and that's his favorite movie, and that blew my mind um but that I ended up losing the house to the bank but uh i even i can't even drive by it um I think it was a four million dollar house. I put two million down cash and then put two million into renovating it and then I couldn't In make LA. The, yeah, I couldn't make the payments, so it all started to crumble by then, and uh, women became my thing, and uh, you know, just living
1: listen, I mean, I, I tell people all the time, so this is the mistake that I made. I said I got hooked on money. you're Harley Davidson, and the Marvel yeah, man yeah. I did about eight of those, right. so for the money, I did yeah. it for the money.
0: That was sort of the end of my love affair with acting, was Harley Davidson and The Marvel Man. Mickey
1: Rourke took a long time off from the business. And when he returned, he played almost exclusively supporting characters until director Darren Aronofsky offered him the starring role in a film about the redemption of an ex-professional wrestler. Rourke wasn't sure about the script, but Aronofsky allowed him to rewrite his part More about The Wrestler, for which Rourke received an Oscar nomination and won the Best Actor Golden Globe and the BAFTA Award, coming up. Listen to our Here's the Thing archives, where Dustin Hoffman describes what he was doing before he got
0: cast in The Graduate. I'd been just starting to get somewhere off-Broadway, doing, you know, my own style of stuff. A hunchback German gay guy with a limp, you know? (laughs)
1: Take a listen at Here's the This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Before the wrestler, Mickey Rourke had no prior experience in that sport, but he grew up boxing in Miami. And when he went to L.A. to act, he continued training. He says he learned the concentration required for acting from his hard work in the
0: gym. There was, there was Hoover Street, then there was the 104th Street Broadway gym in Watts. I used to go there. There was an old trainer named Bill Slayton there. And um, Michael Dokes was there, and he had Kenny Norton before that. It was an all-black gym. I used to say, "I'm the toughest fucking white guy in here." I was the only white guy there, you know. So, don't um, uh, yeah, no, with me. But yeah, no, me. It was like when the little when, okay, when the bell sounds, you know, when it goes ding, you got to go, brother. Yeah. So it, that helped me when the red light goes on, the camera. Actually, I I knew it gave me a confidence and a uh, a technique where. I'm usually going to give you the best thing I can give you the first two takes, or right on the first take.
1: Who was someone that rung you out and wanted you to do a lot of takes, if anybody?
0: Darren Aronofsky. Really? Oh, yeah. In he, that movie? Darren Aronofsky is probably this... Uh, I would say him and Shimino have a lot in common, because Darren, Darren would say, okay, I want you to do this. Okay, I give it to him. And, you know... I I mean I would bring it and give it to him. And then he goes, I want you to do it again. I said, You didn't get out of that shot? He goes, You can do it better. I said, Well, I gave I gave you everything I had. He goes, Listen to me. I said, Well he goes, You can do it better. Bang, I do it. And I do it better. Okay. (laughs) Then I think, Oh, wow, we're done with this scene and he goes, I need another one. I said, I thought I said I did it better. He said, you did, but you showed me, he says, he goes, there was something wrong with the camera. You know, he's really smart, yeah, you know. And then you. he says, I want you to do this, and da da, da 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 And we're talking about 12, it's 1230 now, okay? I'm trying to get the help back to Manhattan from Hoboken, you know. And I had a dog at the time named Loki, who I had for, oh, God, 17 and a half years, and Loki was having heart trouble and she was in the hospital that night. And so one of the takes, Darren said to me, I don't want to have to tell you this, but we got a call from the hospital. And I said, Loki? He said, yeah. And I said, um, he says, I'm not going to, I don't want to bother you right now. I'll tell you after, You, but I need you to do another take. <laughs> it, it, you know, he he... You know he, would, he fucked with you. But I let him, do, I knew what he was doing, but I let it sink in. And then uh, he, would, he would talk off camera about my dog to me and say things that got me upset, you know.
1: and then, If I ever get a chance to work with him, I'm going to say to him, if you Loki me. Yeah,
0: you know, well, that's the other thing, too. It's, it's very rare that you get a director that you're going to respect. But you trusted him. I trusted him because I respected him, and I. Did that
1: come instantly, or he had to no, earn that? It no, took time.
0: When he was pointing his little finger at me and telling me, "You're gonna, you're gonna respect me, and you're not gonna ever say anything to me in front of the crew," you know, the first day that he met me, and I said, "Okay," uh, and I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, if he's got the balls to be pointing his finger at me like this, then he must be the shit. And, uh, and
1: had you taken on other directors on the set
0: before? Oh, I would have broke other directors' fingers right off if they would have done, pointed their finger right, at me but had like there that. been other
1: directors that you really did battle with on the set even?
0: Not really. No, not really. Yeah. No. Um, I've worked with probably more bad directors than I have good, great directors. Did you have a good experience with Alan Parker? He's a really great filmmaker, but what he did was because he had his hands full with De Niro and me, And I was younger, so he picked on me. Plus, he was, uh, you know, uh, he wasn't in the greatest shape. So he was pretty nasty to me.
1: Really?
0: Uh, Yeah. Um, I didn't do anything wrong, but he needed somebody. You know, I was his whipping boy, I guess. Right. And I I came in with, at that time, I didn't have the greatest reputation on the planet. So he was, like, waiting for me to do something. But at that
1: point, where do you think that was from? When you say you didn't have the greatest reputation, Because people talk to each other. Like, I did a movie with a guy. I mean, we didn't talk the whole time. I mean, when you're doing a movie with somebody who's directing a movie and it's 12 weeks and you just... The minute you see the guy, your hair stands up on your back. It's stressful, man. And you don't want it to be
0: that way. No, but it's usually that way more than it is the other way. After... Oh, God. After I'd been in the business more than a decade, I had to go see a therapist. And, um... I had some childhood issues. I, I that, had affected me. Um, How? You're depressed. I, no, it was a, th- a th- anyone of, with authority, who would. Uh, you lit up. I lit. I li- Yeah, because after what happened to me with with one man early in my childhood, I, even if somebody looks at me sideways, it's it's on, and I don't care if the guy's nine foot tall. It's on, you know. Uh, and it was like if a producer there was one time I was doing a movie with uh, Walter Hill really nice guy Johnny Hanson Johnny handsome, and this, this fucking prick comes in the room and he's got his little polo shirt on with the collar up and his ray pants and he's and it's our first day of rehearsing and he's folding his arms and he's standing there like he owns the fucking air we're all breathing right and I said to Walter Hill I said who's that guy he goes that's the producer and I said oh so I walked over to him I said hey man I said, this is our first day, you know, we're just, re- we're not rehearsing, but we're re- just reading, like, the lines through something. I said, you want to, why don't you just, you know, go take a walk and come back when we're all done. And to the, I can call him a cocksucker, because to this day, when my agent tries to send me up on a movie he's doing, you know, he goes, M- you know, you've still got a heart on for me. So, you know what, go fuck yourself, <laughs> you know, motherfucker. <laughs> you and Donald Trump should get a hotel room, you know. Take, I got too many stories like that I want to tell. but uh, uh, No, but,
1: uh, but... But Parker, that was not a positive experience.
0: Because I think it's a pretty good if movie. It wasn't really. You know, there's a lot of interesting things in that and, movie. And he, it was weird because he ended up badmouthing me. And then I I didn't understand why because I gave him everything I had, you know. And the, Okay, let's put it this way. The easiest way to gain any power in Hollywood in the movie business is if you can write. And so lots of times you get writers who become directors and then because they have been writing in their uh, their room for the last 25 or 20 years or whatever they don't know how to interact with uh, an actor or or to bring a performance out of an actor who can't fucking act at all and uh, that's where it gets really difficult because you got a guy in there and they said, oh, his last movie made $200 million that he wrote. and Now he's directing, but he can't direct at all because he doesn't know how to relate to an actor or get a performance out of someone else who can't, who isn't up to the hype. And uh, I went through that recently and uh, it's... Uh, No fun.
1: When you're on a movie set the last, let's say, 10 years or more. Yeah. I mean, I'm older now. I'm 57 years old. I started making movies in the mid-'80s. I did TV before that. And I talk about how it's changed. you know. and, And when I'm on the set of a film, how has it changed for you?
0: Let's put it this way. If I could get a job walking dogs and get paid the same amount I do making movies, I'd walk dogs the rest of my life and never make a movie again. I love my wife
1: more than anything. I love my wife and my kids more than anything. But I said if I'd met these two dogs before I met you, we wouldn't be married, man. Right, well, you I'd know. Have, I'd have my two.
0: No, I mean, the movie business changed has changed a lot to the point where it's just, uh, you know, um, I'm not going to go into any bitching and griping and, gro- and groaning about things just because I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Now. But um, it's just, it's not what I, it was or what I I, I would hope that it would be. It's no, I mean they're doing a lot of action hero movies and and really silly comedies and so, um, somebody told me the other day they're doing better shit on TV than they are in the films. You, you never know? do a TV show. I don't know, you know, because I, with me it's uh, I'm very director oriented and it's like you know I want to know who the director is going to be and who he is and and I don't want to I don't want some. Pinhorn coming on and not knowing because how to Soderberg tie how to tie his shoe. Fincher, Soderbergh. If they, if I, well, I don't know either one of them, but if I end up respecting them after four days, fine. I don't care who your what your fucking name is, but it it depends on the day and and how the week goes.
1: Well, I talk about how difficult it is to make a good movie now. I think there's scripts out there. There's good scripts out there. There's good actors out there. There just aren't a lot of good directors Mm. out there, I think. But as difficult as it is to make a good film, you come along and you make a very good film with Darren. And there's a tremendous, tremendous swell of good feeling for you when you make that movie. You're great in the movie. You're great in the movie. And I'm going to say that back in 1983... When I drive cross-country to move to L.A., the Oscars come on and I throw my beer can or my beer <laughs> bottle at the TV when Ben Kingsley beats Paul Newman for the verdict. Not that I didn't think Ben was great, but right. Ben, of course, brings the mantle of Gandhi into the into the theater with him. Yeah. And I thought that the verdict was Newman's best performance yeah. and his most beautifully crafted yeah. performance and I was really rooting for Paul
0: and I love Ben one of my favorite acts Paul is well, incredible yeah. yeah
1: and 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 the verdict is his greatest performance and he loses to Ben Kingsley and I fucking flip out when I watch it. Right. and the same thing happened when you lost to Sean nothing against Sean I mean I think Sean's a wonderful actor right. but he brings all the sympathy of Harvey Milk into the theater with him and when you lost I threw the fucking Diet Coke can.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I got to tell you one thing. Um, I went over in the in the United Kingdom to the BAFTA. I was happy with that. That 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 right. was that was a great moment. And that feel that well, it, I'll tell you what topped it off was after winning that, I remember going backstage and I think I had a, kind of a funky speech <laughs> up on there up on the platform and I remember Mick Jagger came and gave me a hug and said, oh, thanks for waking up the dead for me because <laughs> right, right, he was right. the host. So right. that was the highlight of my evening yeah. meeting. You know, I hadn't seen Mick in like over 20 years, but like I went like, oh, man, you know, because there's not that many gods walking around anymore, you know?
1: You were great in that movie.
0: Well, there are not, not
1: many movies I can watch again. Yeah. That's how powerful your performance is.
0: Yeah, but the other thing, too, is Sean and I knew each other a long time. Of course. Okay? <laughs> and I have a tremendous amount of respect for Sean and if i'm going to like not get something and they're <laughs> if they're going to give it to somebody else <laughs> let it be Sean Penn because uh i got to say this you know he's going through some shit right now yeah but as an actor you you look you got to look at the big picture for the last 25 years 20 years whatever there's thousands of young young men young actors women and Sean's has set the bar really high sure. and there's 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 young there's Kids go into acting school. They go, I want to be an actor like Sean Penn. Yeah. The same thing that when Sean and I were going to school, we went, we want to be an actor like Robert you can't De Niro get more or, respect or, Alfa, the or Al Pacino of his generation.
1: Yeah. So two other things: late thirties or, or thirty-three years old, you you get sick of the films and the, the Harley Davidson, and you go do the get back into the boxing thing. Your body, your physical muscle frame and everything, you really blow up. You get big. Mm-hmm. You get you you get into what I call the hyper masculinity phase. Yes. The energy you channeled in your work as an actor, did it all just compounding into that? You thought, I'm going to just get, make myself
0: big. No, I only got did got big. I only got big for the wrestler because I had to look like, you know, the guys, uh, Vince McMahon, who, right. who I think is a great guy. Uh, all, all those wrestling guys, they're all huge, you know. So I had to lift a lot of weights and, and, and do some other shit and uh, to put on the weight and eat a lot and— uh, do some more shit and blow up. And so I was up to close to like 245. And, Didn't uh, feel good. No, it was terrible. I have to now cut weight and watch I eat because I fight at 175 pounds. Really? And I walk around at 186, 187. So when I fight at 175, I ha- I'd like to come in at 173. Um, so... Uh, you're fighting again when? I'm fighting late April, early May in Where? El Paso, Texas. Really? Why? <laughs> because it's there. <laughs> because you must. Only God knows. And you're doing some more after that. I'm gonna. Ha- I want to retire. I have. I'm seven zero and two now with five knockouts, and I'm going to retire at ten zero and two at uh, seven knockouts. How old are you now? Doesn't matter. Okay, and we're It's okay. just a fucking number. <laughs> it's just Alex. a number. And when you okay. <laughs> and when the bell rings now. I'm going to throw a right hand, then I'm going to show, throw a shot to the leg. What's your best punch? Well, I've been working on—Mickey Ward is a good friend of mine. Uh-huh. And Mickey uh, has that liver shot. Uh-huh. And, You've been uh, working on, on the liver pill? Absolutely. Right. You get hit in the liver. and right. Anybody gets hit in the liver right, the right way.
1: Yeah. All right, last thing. Yeah. And that is—this um, is the question for the man— who the postcards are of you all over Paris, and right. you're one of the great romantic leading men, women just completely falling in love with you. And you had all these girls you were dating, and you had all these supermodels you're dating, and you've had quite a you've had you've lived a good life. You've you've grazed mm. in the meadow, <laughs> and but no kids, no family. You never want to have a family, no time for that.
0: Um, I came from a nightmare upbringing, and I have always promised myself that. If I had a child, the one thing I would never do is what happened to me. If I had to live my childhood over again, I would choose not to be born. So I would never let this cycle continue. And I spent a lot of time in the closet squeezing my eyes and, like, saying, please, please let me disappear, you know? And I couldn't... uh,
1: Well, two things to wrap this up. One is that... uh uh, you know, in that way that you are this uh, yin and yang, you know what I mean? It's like super tough, the boxing, the uh, the whole, like I said, hyper-masculinity that, accomplish- that accompanies that. And you're this very tender person, the dogs, and there's just so many contradictions to you. But I'm going to finish with my one of my favorite moments, which is I hosted a screening of The Wrestler at the Soho House. And the the young woman you were dating at the time was there. You weren't there. Right. And I get up there and I say, uh, uh, one of the main reasons I'm here is because of what a great fan I am. Uh, going back to Pope of Greenwich Village and Angel Heart and Nine and a Half Weeks, all these movies. Mickey Rourke was one of the only people that drew me to the theater. When Mickey Rourke made a movie, I went and bought a ticket and I sat in the theater and watched his movies. Mm. I said, There are actors who drink and take drugs to build a fire inside them mm. that does not exist. I said, And then there are actors who drink and take drugs to put out a fire that exists in them. I said, And that's the school I think Mickey Rourke is from. And she walked up to me and she goes, <laughs> She goes, please tell me again what is this thing you say about Nikki, <laughs> so she could go back and
0: quote oh, it funny. to me. But well, I, I'm, I'm, no, but the whole, the whole, uh, I'll have a drink, but when I have a drink, I'll drink all fucking night long. Right. So, but that's what I don't want to do. You know, right. I don't. Um, Not until El Paso is over. Exactly, but the night after the fight, yeah. oh, I'll drink for three days in a row. Okay. But then that's it. You I'll shut it. it down, you know what I'm saying? What movie are you doing next, do you know? No, no I have no idea. I, I know th- what movie you're doing next. You do? Yeah.
1: Oh. We'll talk when this is over. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for doing this with me.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> was
1: a reporter once asked Mickey Rourke who would play him in the biopic of his life. He said, quote, They'd have to get three people to do it because two of them would die. This is Alec Baldwin. Here's The Thing Comes from WNYC Studios.